You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Let's stand as we read our passage for this morning. It's in James 3, verses 1 through 12. James 3, 1 through 12. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such will incur in a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits in the horse's mouth so they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. And see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. The very species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord the Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh water and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh water. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the freedom we have to be here, the freedom we have in Christ on a daily basis, the freedom that we have to be in your word. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us individually. You know exactly where each person in this room is and those listening online. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us corporately as a church, as a body. God, that you would give us fresh vision and passion to run after that vision together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to those who don't know you this morning. God, that you would draw them into a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that you speak to me as well and through me. God, may your word be heard, not mine. Lord, may may you bring direction and correction in my life as well through your word. So we surrender ourselves to you. We surrender this time to you. And we simply ask, Lord, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. The title today is Holding Your Tongue. I could easily have um, titled it Bite Your Tongue, uh, but I think you get the gist. What is the tongue? The tongue is a muscular organ in the mouth. It's covered with moist pink tissue called mucosa. It's it's involved in, in licking and tasting and breathing and swallowing and speaking. The pupillae presented on the tongue, those things that are there, those little bumps, that rough texture, it's covered by a number of taste buds. In addition, the tongue contains many cells that help with the body's defenses, keeps us healthy. It plays a major role in body language. Your tongue. That's what I think of that, right? Our tongue communicates a lot. Speaking, humans also use the tongue's movability for speaking. Only when tongue, lips, and teeth work together do sounds from the throat turn into understandable letters and words. Right? If you try to talk without moving your tongue, you really don't get anything out of your mouth. Like we need the whole thing. God made it all together to work. The tongue is extremely agile and quick. It can produce more than 90 words a minute using more than 20 different movements. It is said in some studies that women speak 20,000 words a day. I think that's low. Um, If that's the case, 
That's 13,000 words more than men. Words. Words are so powerful. Words can make us and they can break us. They can indeed mend a broken heart and they can repair a shattered mind, but words can also destroy a person's confidence and make, a pe make people feel worthless. That's why we must choose our words carefully. Words. Words can make us laugh. They can make us cry. Even make us groan. Maybe you've heard the story. There's a, a woman who was sitting at her recently deceased husband's funeral and a man leans into her and asks, do you, do you mind if I say a word? She said, no, go right ahead. The man stands and clears his throat <clears throat> and says, plethora, and sits down. Thank you, the woman says. That means a lot. <laughs> You're welcome. I didn't hear any groans. Just because Nori wasn't loud enough when he groaned. Words matter. In chapter 2, James stressed that mere words are not the issue. The proof of one's salvation is seen in works. Yet here we are in chapter 3, and we're going to see him plunge into a discussion about the tongue. Why? I suggest the reason is that although it's true that our works and not our words are validating us to verify our salvation, but it doesn't mean that our words are not important in our spiritual life. There's a demonstration of a living faith controlling what we say and how we say it. And as we start, we see there's a greater accountability for teachers and not stumbling in words and, and in actions. Verses one and two, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such will incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body as well. You know, anytime we step up in our walk with the Lord, it doesn't matter where we are as a Christian, if we're gonna step up and we're really gonna serve God and we're gonna do this thing, we're gonna read the Bible, we're gonna pray, the enemy comes in and ramps up his attack we're tempted at even a greater level. That target gets a little bit brighter that the enemy comes after. It's imperative that we guard our, our mind, our thoughts, knowing that those thoughts that we have, those things that are stirring in our heart are eventually gonna come out of our mouth. James has a sober admonition for those who have become teachers in the church. They must take responsibility seriously because their accountability is greater and they're going to receive Stricter judgment. Well, I didn't know that. I think I'll leave now. There's a purpose behind that. We should all be taking our faith seriously in every aspect. It doesn't matter if we're a teacher or not. Our faith is important, and how we act and react within that faith and our walk with the Lord is important. It's easy to take the position of teacher lightly in the church without considering the cost in terms of accountability. It's just a job to do. I'm just doing a job. I'm doing this thing. I check my box, my religious box, right? The reality is, when we hear the word of God, when we receive a prompting of the Holy Spirit, when God tells us something, hey, you need to stop doing this thing, or you need to start doing this thing, or you feel that compelling of the Holy Spirit, we are responsible for doing that. Nobody else. It's up to us. In Luke 12, the last part of verse 48, Jesus said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. And we see this practically in our jobs, right? If you're, you're doing a good job, it seems like you get more work to do. I'll give it to this guy, he knows what he's doing. It's the same thing at school. Oh, I'm doing this project. Oh, look how well he's doing that project. Let's give him more responsibility. It's a natural thing. If you're a responsible, trustworthy person, people are going to rely on you even more. But it's also easy to take being a Christian for granted as well, thinking that we punched that ticket. We're just waiting for the train. I punched my salvation ticket. I'm good to go. I'm just going to go over here and sit and wait. Listen. Jesus does not give us gifts, talents, and resources merely to spend them on ourselves. He gives them to us so that we can use them to expand his kingdom, to meet the needs of others. 
especially fellow believers. He gives them to us to grow and mature first, but not just to hold that, but to share it, to, to give it away. And I encourage you later to check out 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, and, and look at all the gifts of the Spirit that we have access to, things that we should be doing and engaging in. We turn to Galatians 6, 9 and 10, and it says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I used this scripture this morning in our opening in prayer out in the foyer. This is the household of faith. Those brothers and sisters that God has brought around us in our lives. That's a household of faith. It's easy, as easy as it is to take salvation for granted. It's easy also to give up when you've been doing good for so long. You say, man, I've been sowing good seed. I've been doing it and I'm not seeing any return. Right? In the business world, they call it the ROI, right? Return on investment. Where is it? And then we want to quit. I exhort you, I encourage you, hang in there, disciple of Christ. Remember, you're a disciple. Keep going. Don't give up. You will reap in due season if you don't give up. You know, I think of my great-grandma, my grandma, my mom, who prayed for me for like 30 years (laughs) before I really got it, before I responded to what God had for me in my life. Don't give up. The fruit will come. Just keep pressing in. You're praying for your loved one. You're praying for somebody who's lost. You're you're praying for that thing that's bad in life right now. Keep praying. Keep praying. And remember that God is going to answer. But also remember that might not be the answer you think it should be. Right? Don't give up. Do good to everyone, but especially to your brothers and sisters within God's family. Jesus and James remind us as teachers in in his church, those teachers are more eloquent speakers with natural and even spiritual gifts, but there's a, a deeper dimension to that that involves the character. It involves righteous living. It involves being in right standing before God. That's why it's imperative when we see that there's something wrong in our life or we've sinned that we make it right with the Lord quick as we realize what, they, what we've done. Moffat points out, James found that this department of church work had become extremely popular. Hence his warning about the serious responsibilities. God will judge us on the last day with special strictness on account of our influence of others. Um, you hear the song from Ray Boltz, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. I was a life that was saved. When we get to heaven, we're What are we going to see? What's that impact from our lives here on earth? Will there be those that come up to you and say, oh, thank you for giving to the Lord. Thank you for working in Sunday school with the kids. Thank you for being with the youth. Thank you for engaging in ministry within your community. I'm here because you were bold in your faith and you gave me hope. That strictness, it also shows us the importance of us being discerning to be a Berean. Remember, the Bereans are the ones that, that dug into the word to see if what Paul was really teaching was correct. Studying God's word and the message that the teacher delivers, it, we make sure that it lines up with scripture. Don't take my word for it. Don't take any person that stands up here, their word for it. You look in your Bible. What does God's word say? Does it line up with God's word? Someone had sent me this last week uh, an inspirational video. It's about an hour and a half long, and I had never heard of this pastor before, and I don't just randomly look at things. So I did some research on said pastor. I won't name his name, but he's a, a pastor from Uganda. Happens to be a millionaire, multimillionaire. Happens to be part of the Word of Faith movement. He said Jesus came down and told him, had a vision, and told him that, well, if I came back today, you wouldn't go to heaven with me because you haven't completed the work that you were supposed to do, so you'll have to stay here. Anybody read that in the Bible? That is a false gospel. 
That is a false teacher. We've got to be observant. He is teaching a false gospel. It is by grace that we've been saved through faith, not by works. And he is going to be judged according to the words that he is spewing out of his mouth. And this kind of thing, guys, is increasing. As the end days get closer, you're gonna hear more and more of it. Tickle my ears, make me feel good about what I'm doing. Be very observant. Stay in the word on yourself, by yourself on a daily basis. Teachers were both tested more and would be judged more strictly, according to James. Clark says, their case is awful. They shall receive greater condemnation than common sinners. They have not only sinned in thrusting themselves into that office to which God has never called them, but through their insufficiency, the flocks over whom they have assumed their mastery perish for lack of knowledge. Their blood will God require at the watchman's hand. They will be held accountable for their false teaching and their false prophecies. He says we'll all stumble in many ways. The greater accountability of teachers is especially sobering in light of our common weaknesses. After all, we all stumble in many things. The ancient Greek word translated stumble does not imply a fatal fall, but something that trips us up and hinders our spiritual progress. We all do things that slow our spiritual growth. It happens to all of us. It's in our nature. Many highs and lows occur in our walk with the Lord. There's times of strength and and righteousness. We have those mountaintop moments. And then we have those times of weakness, the valleys, the, the wickedness, the struggle in morality. The idea is that we cannot live in that fallen state. As soon as we see that we've stumbled, we've got to get up. You think about it when you're a kid. You're riding that skateboard, you're cruising along, and you hit a rock, and you go flying. You hit the pavement. Usually what hits first? Hands, right? If you catch yourself there, you're good, but maybe get the elbow, shoulder, the knee, or like I did once, this side of my face, and you pick the rocks out, right? You get up, pick the rocks out, wipe it off, back on the skateboard you go. That's the same thing in our faith. You stumble, you wipe out, you sin, get yourself up, brush yourself off, pick the rocks out of your forehead, go to the Lord, ask for forgiveness, and go. Don't stay in that fallen state. We humbly go to the Lord. We seek his forgiveness. We, we stand there in vulnerability and transparency before God. We make things right with him. And as we mature in our faith, that, that sin that we have done in the past it is gonna go away. It's gonna be less and less. Now, we're always gonna struggle with sin. That's where we are. But those things that you have done, those things that you've fallen unseen, you'll see those things less and less. You'll see a time in between where, oh man, I am actually guarding my tongue. <laughs> I didn't say those words or I'm not responding in anger, or I'm not responding in lust, or I'm not looking for that self-medication. Like those things go further and further apart. First John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are forgiven. Get up. Brush yourself off. Get back to where you need to be. Eyes on God. Who was saying they had no sin? It was the Gnostics. They were saying, I'm not sinning. It's just my body sins, but I'm not sinning, which makes sense, doesn't it? The people today that say there are no absolutes. What's wrong for you isn't wrong for me. I might not be perfect, but I'm not a sinner. John says any person at any time in any culture who says I'm not a sinner is deceiving himself. He just doesn't get it. They don't understand. And so in that, we have to remember we can't hold people to that same level of accountability that we are holding ourselves to. Your standard might be here. You can't automatically expect somebody whose standard is down to come up to where you are. Doesn't mean you lower your standard, but you need to give grace to them. 
James provided a way to measure spiritual maturity for teachers and for all Christians. And Jesus demonstrated that in, in Matthew 12, 34 through 37. The works are the revelation of the inner character. We'll come back to that scripture in a minute. James says not to stumble in what he says. It shows a, a true spiritual maturity. It's especially relevant to teachers who have so much more opportunity to use their tongue, to speak. And how do we, how do we stumble in what we say individually? Well, we stumble with what we say about ourselves, maybe with our boasting, or maybe we exaggerate a little bit. We selectively report that is, we leave things out of the conversation so it makes us look better. We stumble on what we say about others with our criticism, our gossip and slander, uh, the cruelty, being two-faced, maybe even in our anger or with flattery and insincere words that are meant only to gain us favor. Now, it's interesting, as I got to that portion, uh, we could break down all of those words, but, but flattery stuck out to me. And I had a great devotional um, last week, and it was uh, by John Piper. Actually, it was a couple weeks ago. Um, it's called, How Can I Encourage Without Flattering? We can and we should praise people for good things. That's good. Speak life, but with a proper motive. Genuine praise and exhortation is good because the only thing the person wants is to truly encourage somebody, truly exhort them. Flattery is praise that is done with a motive of gaining something that they want from the individual. They could care less about the person and what happens to them. And I know being in ministry for 25 plus years, I've seen both. From here, I've seen mostly genuine exhortation. So good job with that. How we receive that praise also is important. If somebody tells you you're doing a great job or thank you or, man, it's okay to say thank you. Praise God. Turn that glory back to him. You're not just gonna puff up a little bit. Yep, I'm good. No, it's in humility we receive those things and everything glorifies God. And make sure you keep your praise, your compliments of others genuine. And I'll stop there. We're going to take the message in a different direction. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. If you're called to teach any level, maybe it's even just in your household with your kids, your grandkids, doesn't matter. Humble yourself before the Lord. Study, stay in the word. Study to show yourself approved. Put on the whole armor of God because Satan is indeed coming at you from a different angle. Then in verses three through six, we see the power of the tongue. If we put the bit in the horse's mouth so they'll obey us, we will direct the entire body as well. Look at the ships also. They are so great and driven by strong winds. They are directed by a small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how the forest is set aflame by such a small fire? The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and it is set on fire by hell. Any uh, horse lovers or riders that like riding horses? Nobody? Just a couple people? Okay. <laughs> so that small bit in the mouth controls the horse, right? The, the bit is a, a piece of metal that fits into the horse's mouth and it's hooked to the bridle and to the reins and, and it helps you, uh, the rider, direct and guide that massive animal. 
Now, how about boat lovers? That's a hard question in a landlocked state. Being out on a boat, being on the water, that small rudder turns a large ship. Uh, the rudder is a flat piece of metal that's installed vertically in the back of the boat, and, and that's what helps it turn wherever they want it to go. Even so, if we have control over our tongue, it's an indication that we have control over our self. Whoever can control the tongue can bridle the whole body. The bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder on a watercraft are small but extremely important. If they're not controlled, the entire horse is, is out of control or the, the ship goes wandering off into the waters. It's possible for something as small as the tongue to have tremendous power, power for either good or evil. Misuse of the bit or the rudder spells disaster and causes harm, but the answer is not to keep the horse in the corral or the boat tied to the dock. The misuse of the tongue cannot be fixed by taking a vow of silence. The reality is that if the tongue is like the bit which controls the horse and the rudder of the ship, then really the question becomes, who is controlling that tongue? Is it God? Is it self? Is it the influence of the world? And there are people we know who don't have a hand on the reins or the rudder, shall we say. We would say that maybe they have no filter. And when they speak, whatever comes to mind comes out of their mouth. Others direct their tongue from emotions or from the aspects of their carnal nature. James is directing us towards being a Holy Spirit-filled believer. Someone who has the Spirit of God working in and through them, and it's even, even seen through what they say. They are a new man, a new woman in Christ. They have their hands on the rudder or the reins that we call our tongue. And if not, then we see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small spark or a small fire. We've all heard that sticks and stones break my bones, but your words will never harm me. Sounds good, but is it true? We said it as a kid. We taught it to our kids. That cute little children's rhyme. Isn't that cute? It's not true. It's not true. There's bitter pain caused by the burning words of the tongue. Burning that scars deep and impacts a person for a lifetime. So maybe this morning you remember words that somebody said to you that left a deep scar. I sat and processed this for a while. I have a lot of those that are in my, in my mind, my memory banks from my dad. The arguments, the anger, his threat to kill me. You don't forget those words. I remember others too, and even some of the words that are, weren't intentional, right? When people say things, it's just not intentional. So what do we do with those things? We, we surrender them to the Lord. I don't, I'm okay, I don't have any bitterness. My dad passed away eight or nine years ago but I forgave him way before that. Like we need to surrender those things to the Lord and, and seek forgiveness and, and ask God for his strength to forgive those who have caused harm. Or, or maybe you're thinking this morning, well, man, I've said words that have harmed somebody. Well, then you've got to go on the other side of that and think how can you rectify that? How can you bring healing and bring forgiveness to those words? Here we go again with humility, vulnerability, and transparency before the Lord, and, and we do our best to make things right. A rudder and a bit, control. A spark has the ability to destroy. And we've seen it here in our own state, a spark that can destroy a forest or, or even a town. The tongue can do the same. It can control or destroy. As a kid, my son Brandon, he would always tell me, words matter, Dad. I didn't know he'd be such a, a book geek as he got older, but how true that is. Words matter. What others say to us and, and what we say to others can last for a lifetime, and it can be good or it can be evil. As for genuine Christians, it's imperative that we guard our words. Even the casual, sarcastic, or critical remark can inflict a lasting injury on another person. This 10 years ago or so, I don't remember what was going on in life, and I had said something, and we had some, some issues going on, and I don't even remember what it was at the time, and I was talking with somebody, and that person just simply said, wow, 
you suck at life. Oh, huh. Well, we say that, it's like no big deal, right? But, but there was something there that I'll never forget that. Now I know I'm okay. But those words, they stuck. I know it was sarcastic, but I won't forget. So what do we focus on? We speak life. It's those conversations where we have that well-timed scripture or encouragement or compliment, something that could inspire somebody for, literally for the rest of their life. A proverb speaks of a person who doesn't consider the destructive power of his words. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19, like a madman who throws firebrands and arrows and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, oh, uh, was I joking? Just joking. Did your mom ever tell you if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all? Or how many times you've been told, bite your tongue or zip it. Don't say it. James isn't telling us never speak again or to take a vow of silence. In many ways, that would be easier than exercising true self-control. Anybody want to be a monk? Have a vow of silence? I had a joke for that too, but I'll spare you. The reality is that understanding the purpose of knowing how to use the bit, the bridle, the reins, as you ride a horse makes it an enjoyable experience. It all works together. Understanding and knowing how to use the rudder on a boat makes it glide or sail across the water, and it's enjoyable. It's relaxing. And even fire, when controlled properly, can do great things. In forests, it does. It clears away the dead things, the dead brush, and it allows new growth. I don't know if you've been to, like, down to where the Haman fire was. You look now, it's just beautiful. Trees and flowers and grass. Fire contained in my grill makes a nice steak, makes a good burger. Understanding and knowing the power of your tongue can bring great healing and strength to yourself and to those who hear you. Toby Mack has a song, it's called literally Speak Life. And one of the little choruses says, lift your head a little higher, spread the love like a fire, hope will fall like rain when you speak life with the words you say. Speak life. Speak God's word. Now, not in a command and demand sort of way or standing in the bathroom looking in the mirror telling yourself, I am strong, I am smart, I am successful. Well, doggone it, I'm good looking too. Not that way. But when we speak the word of God in the name of Jesus, when we, we speak from a heart of hope, it brings peace, it brings healing, it brings change. It, it changes our outlook on life because we're using scripture, it changes our perspective. James shows us that the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. If we were to look at the list of sins that maybe we commit or that we could commit, I, I would say that the tongue is involved in some way in every single sin. Burdick says it this way, it is though uh, all the wickedness in the whole world were wrapped up in a little piece of flesh. Trapp made the following statement about the tongue using scripture. He said, they have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, a worker of deceit. It is made in the shape of the sword and David felt it as a sword in his bones. It is thin and broad and long as an instrument most fit to empty both the speaker's and the hearer's heart. It is of a flame color as apt to set on fire the whole wheel of nature. James echoes the testimony of Proverbs regarding the tongue. And I encourage you to take note of these. Proverbs 10, 19 through 21. And I don't think it's in the slide, Jason. So sorry, I added that one. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is a choice silver. The heart of the wicked is is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but the fools die for lack of understanding. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes him glad. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its 
That's why I exhort you every chance that I can to saturate yourself with God's word, reading God's word, meditating on God's word, memorizing God's word. I need to memorize more. I need to do that. Be in God's word. Listen to podcasts. Listen to to other pastors teaching and listen to worship music. But again, I give you that warning. Make sure that you're listening to, to those who are biblically sound. There's a ton of false teachers and false prophets out there, and there's some damaging music. So be wise, be discerning as you fill yourself up. The best place to go is the Bible and hang out there. Now we see the difficulty in taming or holding the tongue, James 3, 7 through 8. For the every species, beast, and birds, and reptiles, and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The the harsh reality is that the bear and the lion are more easily tamed and controlled than the tongue. No one can tame the tongue. God has given us the capacity to sacrifice and and to exercise self-control. We even hear stories of people who are hiking in the wilderness and an accident happens and a rock falls on their hand and the guy cut off his fingers by himself saved his life. Another guy who a tree fell on his leg, he cut his leg off. Like we have that capacity. I don't know that I do. We have that capacity to do those things to survive, but yet we can't tame the tongue perfectly. The same man can't tame his tongue. We should just give up, right? Just give up. I can't tame my tongue. I say whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, with whatever attitude I want. But no, we don't give up. No man can tame his tongue. The, the tongue. the tongue can be brought under the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, the control of the Holy Spirit. I would even say that only God himself is mightier than the human tongue. After all, he created it. The untamable tongue is even more dangerous when we consider the deadly poison it can deliver. Poole said the poison of the tongue is no less deadly. It murders men's reputations and slanders by the slander it utters, their souls by the lust and passions it stirs within them, and many times their bodies too by the contentions and quarrels that rise against men. There's a story of a woman who came to John Wesley and said she knew what her talent was. She said, I think my talent from God is to speak my mind. Wesley replied, I don't think God would mind if you buried that talent. Speaking forth everything that comes to mind is unwise and is poisonous speech. So the side note here is we must pray that God gives us discernment. Speaking our mind or even good words can be damaging. Be sensitive to your audience, to who you're talking to individually or in a group, in a Bible study, especially as a teacher or a leader. Be a respecter of people's time as a teacher. There are times we say more than needs to be said in any conversation. Now the Calvary Chapel way seems to be that most teachings run about 60 minutes on a Sunday morning and sometimes longer. There are times that I cut a message in half and we do part two the next Sunday. Other times at the end of second service, I (coughs) go to Chevy and Krim and all the children's workers and Tell them I love them and thank them for serving with the kiddos a little extra longer. But the idea is that we've got to be aware of our words. Even if our words are good, be discerning. This points out the contradictory character of the tongue, verses 9 through 12. With it, we bless our Lord the Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things not ought to be this way. Does a fountain send out the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. See, the tongue can be used for the highest calling, to bless the Lord, our our God, our Father. And it can be used for the lowest evil, to curse men. And those who are Christians, who are born again, it shouldn't be said of us that out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and curses. It shouldn't be. And there, Peter, I love Peter. Raw, rugged, punchy in the throat with the word, right? He confessed 
Jesus as Messiah. He had godliness, but then he had cowardly sin. Jesus, the Messiah, the the son of the living God, Peter's tongue confessed that, and, and then he denied Jesus with curses. And that's not the reason I I love him. I love him because he was human and imperfect, and yet Jesus redeemed him, brought forgiveness, and used him in mighty ways. What a great example that is. John said little little children love one another. He also wanted to say the word to bring down fire from heaven upon the Samaritan village. Well, they're not hearing us. Can we just fry them? Let's put them out of our misery. So the examples we have in the Bible help us understand that we are going to make mistakes. But when we seek forgiveness humbly before the Lord, he does indeed redeem us. Our speech should constantly be glorifying God. We shouldn't use one vocabulary at work and a different one at church. And maybe even yet a different one at home. It should be consistent. I think I've shared before the story of me smashing my thumb when I was doing construction and and I got it good. I have a nice a swing hammer. I got the whole top of my thumb hard in front of two guys. Grabbed it. Man, that hurts. And this guy is like, dude, I'd be cussing. And so he said some swear words for me. Didn't help. Still hurt. And then my friend, who wasn't really living for the Lord, shared the gospel message with this guy because I didn't cuss. He said, well, no, Scott doesn't cuss because he has faith in God. He has a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, it matters what we say and what we don't say. It makes an impact. Like a spring of water, our mouths shouldn't send forth fresh and bitter water from the same opening. Moffat points out the tone of James' writing. It says, this outburst of James suggested he had suffered from the strife of tongues in a religious world. It reads like a transcript of bitter experience. No fountain of spring yields both salt water and fresh. James points out the ultimate impossibility of such a contradiction. If bad fruit and bitter water continue to come forth, it means there's no contradiction. The tree is bad. The spring is bad. These type of people seem to be able to really suck the life out of you. If good fruit and fresh water flow continuously, then we know that the tree is good and the spring and the fountain is, is good. You probably know people from both of these trees, most of these springs. Most of you, when I'm around you, you're living trees with amazing fruit. As you speak to me, it's fresh water. These are the type of people who fill us up. Be someone who fills others up. Use your words to encourage and lift and fill. Don't be a sucker. Don't suck the life out of somebody with your words. Words truly do matter. I referred to this earlier. Jesus taught that a man's words are reliable, a reliable revelation of their inner character. What we say can indicate what we are. Matthew 12, 34 through 37. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of which it fills the heart. A good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word from people that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. That's a mic drop moment right there. Our words tell on us. Um, years ago, there was a news broadcast in Chicago, and it was interrupted in the middle of the broadcast by a familiar song all of a sudden that was playing over the airway. It's howdy duty time. It's howdy duty time. Right in the middle of their broadcast. You see that broadcast had gone out and those waves had hit some sort of asteroid in space and bounced back 30 years later. 30 years. So too our words go on and on. Jesus says we're going to give an account for them. And for how thankful I am for the blood of Jesus. For repentance and forgiveness. That as a follower of Christ, we have been forgiven. But those who blaspheme the Spirit and say they don't want Jesus, they will eventually answer. Spurgeon said it would be 
a monstrosity, a thing to be wondered at and stared at as unnatural and absurd if a fig tree started bearing olive berries or just unnatural for a Christian to live in sin. Can he also live to bear fruit of iniquity instead of the fruit of righteousness? God forbid it should be so. You see, you can label a fig tree an olive tree, but it's not going to make it an olive tree. You can trim that fig tree to look like an olive tree, and it's not going to make it an olive tree. You can treat that fig tree like an olive tree, but it's not going to make an olive tree. You can surround that fig tree with olive trees. Still not going to be an olive tree. You can even transplant that fig tree on the Mount of Olives, and it's not going to make that an olive tree. In other words, will either, our words will either condemn us or justify us. And that's really how we end every service. We, we give someone, anyone, an opportunity to confess and believe. Our words, that confession of faith, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth they confess, resulting in salvation. It's the power of the tongue, condemning or redeeming. That's where it all starts. The, the gospel message never changes. You guys hear this at the end of every service. If you're already a believer, that's when I encourage you. When you hear the gospel message, you begin to pray for those that maybe don't know the Lord. And maybe you are here this morning and you, you hear these words and you hear this teaching and, and you can see that things in your life are not not quite where they should be. There's a void. You need to understand that God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. He lived a perfect life. He set the example for us. He went to that cross where his blood was shed, where his body was crucified. He went to the grave. And three days later, he rose again. And he's sitting at the side of the Father right now. It's because of that. That's the gospel message. It's because of that, that we have an opportunity to repent to turn from our sins, to ask for forgiveness and to be restored. The gospel message, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. We all have free will. We can choose to confess and believe and spend eternity in heaven or to deny it, to decline it, to walk away from it and spend eternity in hell. The choice is yours. Confess and believe. Your tongue has power. Confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the grave and you will be saved. So this morning I would say, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's prompting you, whether you're in this room or you're listening online, it's time to surrender. It's time to confess. It's time to have a simple prayer, a conversation from your heart to his heart. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today, I'm gonna ask you to pray something like this. Dear God, I know I need you in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I confess with my tongue, I confess with my words that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, please be Lord of my life. Guide me, help me, use me. Use my words, use my tongue to bring the hope of the gospel to others. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, this is just the beginning of an amazing journey in life. Not everything's gonna be perfect, but we walk together. And we learn and we grow together what faith looks like, what, what relying on the Father looks like. And we do it together. So if you did that this morning, just let me know. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. Now for the rest of us, is that we as believers appear before the judgment or the bema seat of Christ, we're gonna be held accountable for three things. The truth we understood, the opportunities he gave us to share that truth, and how we responded in obedience to him. Teachers, of course, will have that uh, greater opportunities to admonish, to exhort people to grow in the Lord. 
And if they lead them astray, as false prophets were doing, or false teachers, or they act out of selfish ambitions, they will be held accountable. A person may do seemingly selfless good works, and yet their words betray the true intentions of their heart. Pride, lust, dishonesty. The tongue and the spoken word are powerful and can set the course of your life. Though you try to suppress the sinfulness and hide the selfish ambitions within, these are often revealed by what we say. And that's why you need Jesus to sanctify. You need that forgiveness. You need him to transform you from the inside out. Again, back to that change you're stinking thinking. God, help me to keep my mind on you, to have the mind of Christ. He brings transformation, he brings healing, he brings forgiveness like ever, never before when we surrender to him. Then we realize the value and the potential of the word spoken thoughtfully as well as a Christian. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for this day, for your love for us, for the fact that you want us to know you more. And we thank you for your word, that it meets us at that point of need. And we thank you for today's passage. And I pray, Father, that, that each of us would pray through it and read through it and apply it to our lives. Help us to guard our hearts and our minds and, and let the things that come out of our mouth glorify you. Help us again, Lord, to, to give people around us a glimpse of genuine faith, to represent you well. Give us the ability to discern and act upon opportunities that you give us to live our faith out loud. My prayer for you all this morning is the Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. May your faith be seen and may God be glorified in all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.